Well, good morning, everybody. My name is John. I'm one of the pastors on staff here at Daybreak, and uh, we are in a series uh, this week, uh, the last couple of weeks, actually, in the next couple of weeks, where we're talking about leaving a legacy, about uh, some of the family values that we want to pass on to others. About uh, Last week, Pastor Sean talked about courage, about how uh, we want to leave a legacy of courage when our lives are all through, when they're all complete, and we look back, we want our friends, our family members, our neighbors to remember us or, as people of courage. Not courage in ourselves, like drummed up type of courage, but a type of courage because of, of who God is in us and what God says he will do through us when he is with us. And so today we're going to continue to talk about this whole idea of legacy uh, that we want to leave, and particularly we're focusing on a person in the Bible named Joshua. We talked a little bit about him last week, we're going to talk about him again today. And we're going to talk about his life and see how God challenged him and the Israelite people to leave a legacy of faith. And now the word faith gets used a lot and it has a lot of different connotations to it. So I want to make sure we know what we're talking about. So why don't you guys, just a little participation here. Uh, what, uh, when we say the word faith or the word faith comes up, what are some of the things we mean? Because there could be several different things that we mean by that. Belief, okay, sure, belief, what else? Trust, what else? Love of God, okay, what else? Anybody uh, have a cousin named Faith or anything like that? Okay, all right. Well, today, those are all good answers, by the way. Thank you for the three of you that shouted things out. Uh, Today what we mean when we're talking about faith is we mean this idea of of trusting God, of choosing to actively trust him. And it's not really, it's not so much like, oh, I believe certain things about God or that I like intellectually am willing to say, yeah, okay, I think God exists. What we're saying is that I trust God and my life reflects that trust. That's what we mean when we say faith here, is is that I'm trusting God with my life and my life reflects it. Or the way I like to think about it is that if I was put on trial for my faith, if I was put on trial for my faith, that there would be enough evidence to convict me of trusting God. That you could look at my life and that I would be found guilty of trusting God with my life. So as we're talking about leaving a legacy of faith, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about leaving a legacy where our lives show evidence that would prove us guilty of trusting God. And so as we look at what it means to leave a legacy of faith, actually I want to ask you, go ahead and pull out your outline. If you haven't done that yet, uh, you can pull your outline out. That'll help you follow along today. And on the inside there at the top of your outline is a famous verse of Scripture that I've seen a lot uh, in uh, people's homes. I think my parents actually have this uh, on a plaque in, in their house. And it's a verse. this verse is part of the passage of Scripture that we're going to read from today. And it says this. It says, But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. It's a declaration, this is Joshua that's speaking here, it's a declaration that Joshua makes, that he and his family have made up their minds, that they've decided that they are going to serve the Lord. They're going to leave a legacy of faith. They are going to live lives in such a way that they would be found guilty of trusting in God. And in some ways, the strength of this statement that Joshua makes here is kind of like drawing a line in the sand is what he's doing. He's he's drawing a line in the sand. And while it's a nice Bible verse to put up on a plaque or to hang on a wall or whatever, it looks nice in your house, it's a nice thing to sort of say or to sort of say, yeah, okay, I I believe that. We'll we'll go ahead and serve God. Living it out is where the challenge comes in. Like that's, that's that's the difficult part is actually allowing our lives 
to reflect that. And so that's how Joshua meant it. He meant it as, as a challenge that we're going to leave a legacy of faith. As for me and my house, we are going to serve the Lord. So let's take a look at the, a little bit of the situation behind Joshua making this statement, statement and see what we can learn today. Uh, I leave a legacy of faith as I, number one, remember God's faithfulness. Remember God's faithfulness. Last week we talked about uh, how Joshua uh, took over for Moses as the leader of this in- entire nation of Israel and how he needed courage to do that, that God challenged him, that he needed to be bold, he needed to be courageous, uh, and, and that as he led this nation, God would be with him. And so that was sort of the beginning of the story of Joshua. Well, today we're going to jump to like the whole other side of the story, the end, the end of the story of Joshua. We're jumping over to chapter 24, kind of getting close to the end of Joshua's life. And in fact, what happens here is Joshua gathers a bunch of leaders of Israel together. He gathers these these leaders all uh, together, and it's sort of like his last hurrah. Like what he's saying here is sort of his last hurrah. And in fact, uh, towards the end of chapter 3, he says, I'm going to say this, he says, before I, he says, I'm about to go the way of all the earth. That's, that's what he says. I think it's kind of funny. Like, hey, I'm about to kick the bucket is what he's saying. Look, I ain't got much time left here, fellas. I'm about to go the way of all the earth. And he says, before I do that, I want to challenge you guys with something. I want to challenge you with something important. So he gathers these officials together and he says, I want to challenge you. I want to make sure before I go the way of all the earth that I have an opportunity to set some things straight, to help us get, get on track with some things. So his bucket list, Joshua's bucket list, included challenging these leaders. And it says that he gathered these leaders in a place called Shechem, and that there he, he reminded them of all the ways that God had been faithful to them. He talked about all the things God done from them, had done for, for them, uh, from the covenant that he made with Abraham to the way that he had led these entire, this entire people out of slavery in Egypt. Uh, he r- reminded of, of them of how he provided for them while they were wandering the desert and how he had led them into this promised land, which is where they now were. So that summarizes like the first part of this chapter of 20, uh, chapter 24 that Joshua is, is reminding them of these, the ways that God has been faithful to them. And then in, in verse 13, which is in your outline, it says this. It says, I, and this is God who's saying this, I gave you land you had not worked on. I gave you towns you did not build, the towns where you are now living. God is saying, basically, have you forgotten how I've provided for you? Like, do you realize how much I've provided for you here? It says, I gave you vineyards and olive groves for food, though you did not plant them. Now, one of the things that we have to understand uh, about these people is that for them, this stuff was everything. Like olive trees and grapes and fields typically took years and years to cultivate, to bring together before they were ready to harvest. But rather than having to struggle to do that, God not only provided for their their basic needs, but blessed them with a lot of, like, the, of good things. He, he, he blessed them with a really uh, bountiful harvest. And typically, cities would take years and years to build and to fortify and were always built around or near a water source. And without that fortification of the cities, Israel, the Israelites would really stand no chance to be able to survive or to protect their city. And so God gave them houses. He gave them cities he provided all these things for them. And so Joshua, what he's doing is he's bringing all these things to mind, saying, hey guys, remember God's faithfulness. Remember God's faithfulness. Don't forget that even the place that you live, even the food that you have, even the vineyards that are growing, the land that is being cultivated, don't forget that God provided them for us. Don't forget the things he's done for you. 
don't allow yourself to be so focused on what's going on in the present. Don't allow yourself to be so focused with all the stuff going on today. And don't be allow, allow yourself to be so focused on worrying about what's going to happen in the future that you forget about the ways that God has been faithful to us. And I think the challenge here is that a lot of times we are a lot like the Israelites. And I love, if you read a lot of these stories, you, see, you can see ways that, oh yeah, I'm like that. I, I struggle with that. And it's so easily, especially in the routine nature of day-to-day life, to fail to remember the ways that God has been faithful. It's so easy to just sort of forget about those things. I remember a couple of years ago uh, when the movie Passion of the Christ came out. How many people saw that movie? Okay, a lot of people. And it was actually 2004, so it's been like seven years now, which I, I looked that up, it kind of blew me away. It seemed like more recent than that. But one of the things that, this, it was a movie that had a powerful impact on a lot of people. Like it really, really gripped people's hearts, had a powerful impact. And it, it, was, a, it was a chance for people to see the life of Jesus and, and particularly the, the death of Jesus uh, uh, on, the, on the big screen in, in, a, in a way that was very, very well done. And for a lot of people who were most impacted by that, that story, by that movie, they tended to have one of two different responses. A one, of respon- one of the responses that people would have was something like, wow, I, I just never realized what Jesus went through. Like, I just, I never realized what he went through. I, d- I just didn't realize it before. And so for those people seeing the story of Jesus was a, 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 a totally new experience for them. They had never really understood the story of Jesus before. They didn't realize, they, they hadn't known about his sacrifice for them. And so they were blown away and they were humbled by the love that God had for them. And for them, seeing that, realizing that, changed the whole ballgame. It changed the ballgame for them. Their worldview shifted because of Jesus' story. It was like a new start, like a a brand new revelation. It's like, I never realized. I never realized it before. And now I'm different because of it. And I think many, many of us can relate to that type of response. Uh, maybe in the past year or two, you felt like your eyes were open in some new way to, to truth about who God is or who God was that you didn't know before. You didn't realize that God actually loves you, that he's not mad at you that he actually loves you, that Jesus died for you. And so when you actually embraced that, it changed things for you. It was something you just hadn't realized before, and now you came to, to understand that. And so that's one way that this, that, that movie impacted people. And a second way that it, that it impacted people was this. And this tended to come from people um, who didn't leave the movie having necessarily realized something new. Like, um, they had heard the story maybe hundreds of times before. They knew what was going to happen. Like, it wasn't a surprise ending for them. Like, they knew what was going on in this movie. Uh, they had been to church for years, but they were impacted for a different reason. And, and this is what, the way that they were impacted. A lot of those people left that movie saying, I had forgotten. I had forgotten. I had forgotten what Jesus had done for me. They knew the story. They knew the story. It wasn't new to them. They were impacted because they had allowed themselves to forget. They needed to remember what Jesus had done, and that's what that movie gave them an opportunity to do. Because there, there's, there's something about routine, about everyday ordinary life that over time just sort of desensitizes us a little bit. Like we just kind of get desensitized. As we journey with God, once we've been following him for a while, life happens, things happen, and so we can kind of start to tune out 
stories or that are we're sort of familiar with. So it's like, yeah, I know Jesus died on the cross. Like, I know that story. I'm, I'm familiar with that. I know he rose from the dead. And it's not that I don't care. It's not that I don't care about any of that. It's just that it's kind of like old news. Or it's kind of like old hat. And it's not necessarily that we don't care anymore. It's just that we sort of become dull in our faith because we've, we've just sort of heard that one before. And that's a really common thing that happened and that's what was happening here with the Israelites that's what Joshua was pointing out to them he was saying look you've got to take time to remember really remember the ways that God has been faithful to you you need to remember the stories of the ways that God has shown his faithfulness to you don't allow yourself to become numb don't allow yourself to become numb to the ways that God has been faithful in your life and so he paints this picture Joshua paints this picture for them where he reminds them of where they have been, where they are now, and how God has been faithful to them to them through it all. Regularly remembering your story. Regular, regularly remembering the ways in which God has been faithful to you, faithful to your family, faithful to your friends, is so important to this idea of leaving a legacy of faith. When we remember God's faithfulness, it recharges us. It rejuvenates us. When life or our faith has become a bit dull or a bit numb. And it's not necessarily because we, want it, we necessarily chose that or that we really wanted to feel that way necessarily. It's just kind of something that the way that life naturally moves us. Remembering God's faithfulness is not like a default for us. It's not something that you just kind of, oh yeah, I just kind of do that. It's something that we have to intentionally choose to do on a regular basis. We have to be active about it. And so I want to take a few minutes this morning and give you an opportunity to reflect a little bit on God's faithfulness in your own life. And that faithfulness shows up both in times of, of struggle, when things, are going t- when things are tough, when you're going through difficult times, like you, maybe, you're, maybe that's happening right now and you're going through some struggles or you look back at your past and you've gone, gone through some difficult things. God's faithfulness shows up in those moments and it also shows up in the moments when things are going well, when, when it feels like things are just great right now and, 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 and things are just, I feel like we're, like we're at the top of the world and, and we really, really sense God's faithfulness. In both the times of the wandering in the desert as well as the times of entering the promised land, God proves himself to be faithful and what he challenges us to do is to remember that faithfulness. There's, an out, there's a question on your outline there that says this. It says, how has God been faithful to me in both the desert, the tough times, and in the promised land, the good times. Now we're going to listen to a song, and I want to invite you to give yourself an opportunity this morning to remember and write down on your outline, there's a lot of blank space on there for you, to write down some of the ways that God has been faithful to you. How has he been faithful? How has he, how has he blessed you? Where have you seen him at work in your life? And you won't be able to write them all down. You won't be able to throw them all down there. But it will at least give you an opportunity to get a good start. And, and maybe you're here today, and I want to encourage you, uh, maybe you're here today, and if you were honest, you would say, look, I'm not really sure, I'm, I'm, I'm not really a follower of Jesus. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of still exploring this whole idea of putting my faith in God, and I'm definitely not sure yet if I want to leave a legacy of faith. Like, maybe if you're honest, like, that's where you are today. And if that's where you are today, then this is what I want to invite you to do. Instead of remembering God's faithfulness, instead of remembering it, maybe you want to ask God to help you realize it, realize God's faithfulness for the first time. Maybe during this song you want to say, 
God, what are some of the ways that you've been faithful that I've just never really realized it before? Maybe that's a question you want to ask God. And then you can just write down some of those things that he brings to mind for you. Either way, whether you're remembering his faithfulness or whether you're just realizing his faithfulness this morning, let's take a few minutes and reflect on the ways that God's been faithful. He's always been faithful. 
God, we want to say thank you for the ways that you've been faithful. And uh, I confess that I so often allow myself to become numb to those things and those ways. And uh, I just ask that you would forgive us and that we would continually remember uh, the ways that you've been faithful. In Jesus' name, amen. So regularly remembering, taking time to remember the ways that God has been faithful is so important to leaving a legacy of faith. Which brings us to the second point in your outline there, is that I leave a legacy of faith as I, number two, depend on God alone. Depend on God alone. So Joshua challenges the Israelites to remember what God has done, and then he says, I I, I want you to not only remember but then I also want you to to put your dependence solely on him. He says this uh, in verses 14 and 15. He says, so fear the Lord, which is actually the word fear is not like frightened, like horror movie frightened. It's like a, a healthy, reverent respect of recognizing who it is that we're talking about when we're talking about God. So it says, so fear the Lord and serve him wholeheartedly. Put away forever the idols your ancestors worshiped when they lived beyond the Euphrates and in Egypt. Serve the Lord alone. Would you underline that? Serve the Lord alone. But if you refuse to serve the Lord, then choose today whom you will serve. Would you prefer the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates? Or will it be the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live now? But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Now remember, Joshua had called all of these leaders together. And he said, before I die, I've noticed some things that I want to bring to your attention. You've forgotten, we've forgotten what it is that God has done. You've begun to have divided hearts. You've begun to, to serve other gods, to serve idols. And here's what, here's what basically was happening. The Israelites had settled into these cities and villages that God had provided. Uh, and for a number of years, maybe 20 to 30 years, they had been, been living there in relative peace. Now, there were still a lot of other people in the region, uh, Canaanites. This was the land of Canaan. And so there were still a lot of Canaanites that were in the cities and the towns that bordered where uh, the Israelites were living. And the Israelites would rub shoulders with Canaanites all the time. Like it, would just, it was just common practice that they would be interacting with each other. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. In fact, that's part of what God intended. The whole reason that God had chosen this particular group of people, the reason he chose Israel was so that through them, all the other nations in, in the world, that all of the other people groups and all the other nations in the world would be able then to, to get to know God, so that they would know their creator. That's why God chose Israel. That was what their task was. And so God had called them, he had called Israel, the Israelites to live differently than anyone else. He said, I want you guys to be different, to be a little bit weird, a little bit peculiar in the eyes of everybody else. And, and, and it's that difference that different type of living would be what pointed people back to God. And that's why he gave them laws like the Ten Commandments. He said, here, these are the things, these are the, the things that I want you to do. This is, I'm calling you to, to be different, and this is what 
that looks like. And so he gave him the, the Ten Commandments. But what was happening was, instead of influencing the culture around them, the Israelites were, were actually being influenced by the culture that they were being a part of. And it wasn't necessarily like always an intentional thing. Sometimes it was. But a lot of times it, it would just happen naturally because that's kind of the way things the way things were. And so I tried to, uh, we tried to come up with a good way to, to think about this in terms of like our area, okay? So bear with me as I try to explain this. But imagine for a minute that Cumberland County is the land of Canaan, okay? Cumberland County is the promised land. I mean, who could disagree with that, right? All right, so it's filled, imagine it's filled with uh, people, an entire group of people, all of them Canaanites, all right, Cumberland County is full of Canaanites. Now, the Israelites come in, and God gives them Mechanicsburg and Dillsburg and Camp Hill. So now the Israelites are in those areas. But just a few miles away, let's say over in Lemoyne or in New Cumberland, there still are Canaanites living there. And all throughout the country areas in between and around, there are some Israelites and some Canaanites, and, and that's kind of the situation that was there. And so the Canaanites do a lot of things differently than the way the Israelites do. They work every day, so they don't take a Sabbath. Like, God commanded the Israelites, hey, one day out of every seven you need to be resting. But this, the Canaanites don't do that. They eat different foods, and they also worship other gods. And they have actually uh, built temples for these gods, and then they would go and they would offer money or stuff to the priests, and then the priests would get these various gods to do favors for the Canaanites, and they would actually also have little wooden replicas of these gods in their homes that they would have these little idols so that every day before the Canaanites would go out to the fields to harvest or go out to work or, or whatever, they would offer sacrifices or pray to these various wooden replicas to these gods. Now, imagine if you're an Israelite family uh, and you're rubbing shoulders with the Canaanites and a few of them start to tell you about what their, some of their practices are. They kind of do this thing. They offer some sacrifices to these other gods so that their crops will grow or so that they'll be able to have a large family or so that they'll be able to gain wealth. And so they start to intermingle and tell these stories. And as, a, as an Israelite, you can, you can remember, you know, God told me that I need to worship him alone, like I shouldn't be worshiping these other gods, but hey, you know, you've got crops too, right? You've got land, you've got, you really would like a family, you'd probably like a larger family than the one that you have now. And so maybe in, in addition to God, maybe in addition to serving God, maybe you'll also have these household gods. Like you'll kind of include them in, and you'll offer them a little something kind of just in case, or so that you have all your bases covered. And so that's, it wasn't like you totally abandoned God altogether. It was just sort of like, oh, I'll, I'll worship God and I'll, I'll worship these, these other things or I'll do these other things. And so after 30 years or so of rubbing shoulders with the Canaanites, with the people that practice these various things, you have Israelites who instead of being different the way that God called them to be, they were kind of starting to uh, uh, be influenced and, and adopt some of these practices and kind of combine it with what they believed about God. Well, what's happening is Joshua is pointing this out to them. Joshua is saying, look, these are the, these are the things that are happening, it's, and it's got to stop. And in verse 19, Joshua actually says that, it's, this isn't in your outline, it says that God is a jealous God, that he's a holy and a jealous God. And it's not the type of jealous that's sort of like petty, like a lot of times we think of. It's not like uh, God's envious that these other gods are getting the attention of the Israelites. He's not envious of these other gods. It's, it, it means something totally different. I want you to write this on your outline. That a jealous God, jealous God equals, 
jealous God equals requires fidelity. Jealous God equals requires fidelity. And here's what, what we mean by that. God, God says to the Israelites, he says, look, I'm not willing to share the lordship of your life. Like, I'm not willing to share the lordship of your life with other things, with other idols. He requires fidelity to him. That was part of the covenant relationship that God had made with Israel. And so it's kind of like, it's a little bit like a marriage relationship. That's that's a, a good way to look at it. My wife and I made a covenant to one another. She and I made this this covenant to one another, and it's an exclusive relationship. It's it's an exclusive relationship, just the two of us. It's a relational commitment that requires fidelity. Now, what if I came to came to her someday and I said, "Look, Mel, look, you're great. Okay, you're you're great. Uh, I I totally love you. You are my number one girl. But here's the thing. Look, I've decided." that there are just a couple of others that I like as well, okay? It's fine, it's not a, it's, don't worry about it. There's just a couple of other people as well that I also really, really like. Now, you're still my number one, okay? You're still the one I run to, the one that I belong to, okay? Uh, yeah, okay? You're still most important. It's just that I'm going to love you and... I'm going to love these other people as well, these other girls out here as well. And so, I mean, what, what would she think? And what would we all think? She'd think, well, how long is it going to take her, right, to kick me my tuchus to the curb, right? I just sung and said tuchus in the same. <laughs> so, yeah. But, but why? Why would that be something that would, that would be like an outrage? Because the nature of our love relationship is exclusive. It's an exclusive love relationship. That's what the covenant is all about. I can't marry her and decide I'll just also date a bunch of other people over on the side. And that's similar to what, what this picture is that God's painting here for Israel. He isn't going to allow them to continue to be his covenant people and to serve and worship other gods. So he's calling them back. Joshua's calling them back to renew this covenant that they made. And so it says in verse 23, it says, Now then, said Joshua, throw away the foreign gods that are among you and yield your hearts to the Lord, the God of Israel. Now there's two parts in this, in this verse here that I think we can really relate to well. The first one he says is he says, throw away the foreign gods, get rid of these idols. Now for us, this idols concept looks a little bit different than it, than it did for them. Uh, Tim Keller, where did I put that book? Okay, Tim Keller uh, who's a pastor in New York City, wrote a book called Counterfeit Gods. And he's written a couple other books as well uh, that are, are uh, really good. Uh, and this one is, is no exception to that. And he, he, he wrote this great little book called Counterfeit Gods. That are, it's all about this area of idolatry. Like what are, some of the, what are the ways that we kind of create idols? We don't necessarily carve little wooden figurines that we make sacrifices to every morning, but we do... Uh, are tempted a lot of times to have other types of idols in our lives. So this is what he says about this whole idea of idolatry. He says, what is an idol? It is anything more important to you than God. Anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God. Anything you seek to give you what only God can give you. A counterfeit God is anything so central and essential to your life that should you lose it, your life would feel hardly worth living. An idol has such, contro- such a controlling position in your heart that you can spend most of your passion and energy, your emotional and financial resources, 
on it without a second thought. It can be family and children, or career and making money, or achievement and critical acclaim, or saving face and social standing. It can be a romantic relationship, peer approval, competence and skill, secure and comfortable circumstances, your beauty or your brains, a great political or social cause, your morality and virtue, or even success in Christian ministry. An idol is whatever you look at and say in your heart of hearts, if I have that, then I'll feel my life has meaning. Then I'll know I have value. Then I'll feel significant and secure. There are many ways to describe that kind of relationship to something, but perhaps the best one is worship. If anything becomes more fundamental than God to your happiness, meaning in life, and identity, then it is an idol. Now I'm sure that you can think of, I'm sure that you can think of a number of different idols that might be a temptation for you. And again, it's this whole idea of fidelity. God challenges us like he did with these Israelites to get rid, to throw away these other idols and depend on just him, depend on him alone. So he says, Joshua says, throw away your foreign gods and yield your hearts, yield your hearts to God. Now when I think of yield, what do I think of? When you think of yield, what do you think? Okay, I couldn't hear any of that. Uh, I, th- I, <laughs> I think of driving. All right, I think of you. Anybody okay? Okay, yes, okay. Okay, I think of driving, and I think of entering a highway. Now, I noticed a couple of different ways that people yield, okay? And see if you can recognize any of this. One way is sort of like the steamroller version. Like, they just kind of look out everybody. Here I come. I'm entering this highway. If there's space in another lane, you better get over because I'll ram you if you don't, okay? How many people yield like that, typically? Sean, okay, a couple people. All right, appreciate the honesty. The other way, another way is actually more like the complete opposite, and that's where you kind of wonder if they mistake the yield sign for a stop sign, right? Like they're kind of pulling up really slow, and they're like waiting until there's no traffic like as far as the eye can see, and then they pull over and enter into the highway, okay? How many people tend to, to do that? Okay, yeah, right. All right, well, you... Neither of those is really what, what the actual purpose of yielding is, right? Like, yielding correctly involves what? It involves allowing the other person to take the lead, and then you just follow in right behind them. And so that's what Joshua is saying here. He's saying, look, get rid of these other idols, th- these things that you've made idols. Get rid of those and yield your hearts to God. Allow God to take the lead of your heart. Depend on him alone. It's a fidelity issue. It's a relationship issue. So here's a question for you to think about. This is in your outline. And we're not going to take time right now to reflect on it, but I, want, I, do, I do still want you to, to take a look at it. A good question to ask yourself is this. What other gods have stolen my dependence away from God? What other gods have stolen my dependence away from God? Or what are the idols that, that tend to, to crop up or pop up? in my life. It could be money, it could be your physical body, it could be a career, family, relationships, success, whatever. What idols keep me from depending on God alone? So if we want to leave a legacy of faith, we need to remember God's faithfulness, depend on God alone, and then number three, invite others to hold me accountable. Invite others to hold me accountable. I leave a legacy of faith as I invite others to hold me accountable. So Joshua challenges the Israelites to renew their covenant with God. He says, throw away these other gods, yield your hearts to God. Let's renew our covenant 
with God. And, and the Israelites have a change of heart like as a whole. They're like, yeah, you're absolutely right. We've been doing these things. Like We want to serve the Lord. That's what we want to be about. These, these other things happened, and, and we're, we're ready to kind of return and, and be who God called us to be. So then Scripture says this. It says, so Joshua made a covenant with the people that day at Shechem, committing them to a permanent and binding contract between themselves and the Lord. Joshua recorded these things in the book of the law of God. As a reminder of their agreement, he took a huge stone and rolled it beneath the oak tree beside the tabernacle of the Lord. Joshua said to all the people, This stone has heard everything the Lord said to us. It will be a witness to testify against you if you go back on your word to God. So Joshua set up this stone. He set up this stone as a witness to the promise that they had made. And they put it like right there and in a place called Shechem, which is where this whole meeting was, was taking place. And the interesting thing about Shechem is that it was a place where a lot of important political decisions were made, that they would, a lot of times, the leaders would, would gather there. It was something that they would do pretty regularly. It was a place where they were going to return over and over again. And so Joshua made sure that the location of this statue or of this stone that they were, they were putting there was going to be a place that they weren't going to be able to ignore the commitment they made. They weren't just going to be able to ignore it. That these leaders and future, uh, these leaders now as well as future leaders would be coming back to this place and they would see this stone and they would, they would remember the covenant that they renewed with God on that day. He was setting up the statue in a way uh, to keep the Israelites accountable, to keep them accountable to remember this commitment that they had made to God, that they would see it and that they would all realize, oh yeah, that's right. That's the commitment. We need to remember the fact that we made this commitment to God. And we all need something like that in our lives. Like we all need some uh, type of, of accountability in our lives if we're going to leave a legacy of faith. We've got to have accountability from others to help us stay committed to God, to help us remember the ways that God has been faithful to us, and to challenge us to depend on him alone. And one of, the, one of the unfortunate ways that our culture has really impacted the way that we, we view faith or we view this idea of trusting in God is that uh, we, we, uh, we have tended to view it primarily as like a private thing just between me and God. Like that's sort of the perspective that we've, we've tended to have, that it doesn't really have anything to do with anybody else, that this is just kind of like a me and God thing. So nobody, nobody really else has, to, has anything to do with it. But when you, look at the, when you look at the Bible, it's not really presented that way. It's not, it's not really the way that Scripture presents it. It is a personal decision that everybody has to make. Like every individual has to choose to make that decision. But it, it's not something that's really presented in, in Scripture as like this secret thing or this private thing that nobody else is supposed to be in on. And, and I think there are a number of reasons why we keep it private, like why we've tended to go that way. Uh, and one of the biggest reasons is I think that when we keep something private, we don't really have to have accountability for it. Like we can kind of just not have account. If it's just between me and God, if this is just a, a, a thing that's between me and God, then nobody else can really challenge me about it because then they're just judging me or then they're just like kind of butting into business that's not theirs. And so uh, if it's just between me and God, we can't be challenged. It's also, it's a lot easier for for me to just sort of drop out of something or to not follow through on something when I don't have that accountability. But that's why the Bible says that's why God gave us the church or other people that are also on this journey of following 
Jesus. That he didn't just say, hey, this is all about you and me. God said, hey, this is about loving me and then also loving others. It's about loving me and others. It's about your relationship with me, but it's also about learning that relationship together with this other group of people that are called the church. So when I have a friend or two or five who I am, that I'm following Christ with, that I'm inviting to share their faith with me, uh, I'm, that I'm inviting to challenge me when I'm uh, struggling or when I'm going through something, that I invite to encourage me when I'm going through a difficult time in my life, that's, that's so essential to, to actually growing and developing as a follower of Christ, is having that, those types of relationships with one another. And at Daybreak, we try our best. <laughs> we try our best to, to provide that type of thing for anybody who wants it. And one of the biggest ways that we do that is through our small groups. And we talked about that earlier. I mean, there is a book in your program guide today of ways that you could get connected to other people and to begin to develop relationships where there's some accountability and some encouragement and some mentoring and some friendship and all those types of things. If you're not a part of a small group of any kind, I would encourage you to really consider doing that, starting that uh, this fall where, you, where you're, sharing life with somebody and, and, and your faith is not just about your relationship with God that nobody else gets any part of, but that it's something that you're sharing with other people. Just like Joshua and the Israelites, we need to have those types of relationships. We need to have that type of accountability. We need to not just say privately, yeah, God, like I'm committed to you. We need, to, we need a way to make that public, to, to bring others on that journey with us. And I think that one of the coolest ways, one of the coolest ways that we kind of move from making just a private decision about me and God and changing that to a public decision is through a practice that followers of Christ have been doing for thousands of years now, and that's called baptism. It's, it's, it's people making a personal decision. They've said, look, I'm, I've chosen to accept the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross for me. I've chosen to allow him to take the punishment for my wrongdoing. I've made that decision, and, and now I'm, I've chosen to have him lead my life, and I'm following after him. And so they've made that decision in their hearts, and now they're saying, and, and I want to share that. They're kind of taking that next step. They're saying, I'm going to share that with other people. I'm gonna, I want them to be in on this too. I want them to be able to celebrate that with me. And so tonight at 6.30 at, our, at our, uh, the other campus, at the Gettysburg Pike campus, we're going to be baptizing about a dozen or so people who are moving from that that place to saying, hey, I'm going to make this, I want everybody to, to know that I'm, I've chosen to uh, allow Christ to be my forgiver and my leader. And I want, I want people to come alongside me and journey with me in this. So we want to give you an opportunity this morning to hear a few of those stories so you can check out the screen. Hi, my name is Aaron Argot. I want to be baptized because I have asked Jesus into my heart and I just want everybody to know that. Hi, my name is Andrew. I want to be baptized because I want to be on Jesus' team. Hi, my name is Brian McDonald. I want to be baptized because I want to live a better story. I want to be a better husband, father. I want to walk a better life and um, I believe that this is the next step in doing so. Hi, my name is Jolene McDonald. I want to be baptized, actually rebaptized, because I was baptized as a young girl, but um, 
as I got older, I sort of um, veered away from religion and, and um, kind of went off of the path for a while and wanted to do my own thing and search for independence. And um, when I came back and started going to church at daybreak, I, I started to uh, feel God pull at my heart to, to come back to Him. And so I rededicated my life to Him. And, um, and now I'd like to show all my family and friends that dedication. Now my name is Donald Bruner. Now these last uh, four years, God's really been in my life, uh, helped me out through different things. Uh, I've had different health issues, and He's been there. He actually was just there for me last month. And I think it's time now that uh, I really accept Him and show Him that I understand uh, what He wants me to do with my life. Hi, I'm Corinne Anderson. Well, I want to be baptized because I want to start a new life and I want to show my dedication to, to following Christ. Being baptized is kind of like my way out, just being forgiven and being more like Christ. My name is Rob Swanger. I want to be baptized because I want the world to see what Christ is doing through me and how I'm changing my life and getting to the point where I feel comfortable with the idea of just giving my life up and, you know, living my life for, for, another, for something bigger than me. Hi, my name is Michelle Swanger. I want to be baptized because I've always turned to God for comfort and for guidance, and I feel it's time to turn everything over to God, and I've learned so much about that at daybreak for the past six months, and I've just really felt the calling that it's time to be baptized. My name is Josh Woolley. I want to be baptized because I think it's just a, it's a calling to me from God. Uh, I've thought about it for a long time now and, and decided that this is the, the time to do it, follow his path. I, I, I trust God in my life and you know, know that he's, he's my, my Lord and Savior and have to do it and, and, and prove to myself that it's, it's the best thing for me. Hi, my name is Jackie Morrow. I want to be baptized because um, I was baptized as a child. Of course, I have no memory of that. And in the last several years, I have, my faith has grown. I've become so close to God. And He does speak to me, although it took me a while to realize that, hey, I was expecting the big booming voice saying, hello, I'm God, and it wasn't like that. So once I heard and I understood, then I, I learned to listen for His voice. And my family, most of them have been baptized here. And I was not holding out, I just wasn't ready. And then I heard it, and it said, now's the time. Hi, my name is Ryan Mitchell. I wanted to be baptized because within the past year, I've made a lot of new friends that are Christian. And I've seen how they act, and I've realized that I've gone to church for as long as I can remember, but I really wanted to take that to heart after watching how they act and kind of looking at how I was and wanted to take that to heart and make it mine, not just I'm doing it because this is what my family does. Hi, my name is Bob Rick. I want to be baptized basically because I've been following Christ and there's certain parts of that I've coming to in my life that I haven't done yet and I've getting to them crossroads where now I think it's time for me to take them steps 
Everything that's happened in the last four years, I contributed to what God's been working in my life. Isn't it cool to hear stories? I love the, just the variety, <laughs> the great variety there of different people's stories and the way that God's been working in their lives and how they've come to the point in their journey where they're ready to say to everybody else, hey, this is a commitment that I'm making. I want, I want this. This is what my life is going to be about. So wrapping up, here's a great question to ask yourself in your outline there. How will my life be a witness to my commitment to God? How will my life be a witness to my commitment to God? Just like the stone that Joshua used to hold Israel accountable, like the people who are choosing to get baptized tonight, what accountability will I put in place so that I remain committed to my relationship with God? You and I can leave a legacy of faith. We can be men and women whose lives leave enough evidence that we would be found guilty of trusting God with our lives. And I really believe that if we want to do that, we need to remember God's faithfulness, to depend only on him, and then also to invite other people to join us in that journey and to hold us accountable to that commitment that we've made. Can I just take a minute and pray with us? God, thank you uh, for today. I thank you for your faithfulness. And I pray that we would uh, live lives that give evidence of our desire to trust you. I pray that for each person here, regardless of where they are on the journey today, um, I pray that they would get to know you better and take a new step uh, in their relationship with you. We love you and thank you for loving us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, John. Would you guys um, please pull out this blue response card from your program guide? So every week, uh, we ask you guys to respond to how God's been speaking to you. And this card is, gosh, a way um, that you can log or journal how he's been speaking to you. But I really sensed this morning as I was listening to John, um, as I was listening to God's voice in my own life, that fall is a great time of year to sit back and reevaluate where you are in your journey with God and what he wants to do in your life in this new year. And for whatever reason, we found a real flow, a real cycle of life here at Daybreak that when the school kicks back in and everyone's coming back to church, there's like this new energy and this new life that we begin to see at, you know, as the weeks go on here in August and September. And I just can't ignore this sense that God is wanting